This is section 66 of Mark Twain, a biography. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain, a biography. Volume 1, Part 2, 1866 to 1875. Chapter 66, Back to San Francisco. Reply came from the Alta, but it was not promising. It spoke rather vaguely of prior arrangements and future possibilities. Clemens gathered that under certain conditions he might share in the profits of the venture. There was but one thing to do. He knew those people, some of them, Colonel McComb and Mr. McCrellish intimately. He must confer with them in person. He was weary of Washington, anyway. The whole pitiful machinery of politics disgusted him. In his notebook he wrote, Whiskey is taken into the committee rooms, in demijohns, and carried out in demagogues. And in a letter, This is a place to get a poor opinion of everybody in. There are some pitiful intellects in this Congress. There isn't one man in Washington in civil office who has the brains of Anson Burlingame, and I suppose if China had not seized and saved his great talents to the world, this government would have discarded him when his time was up. Anson Burlingame had by this time become China's special ambassador to the nations. Furthermore, he was down on the climate of Washington. He decided to go to San Francisco and see those Alta thieves face to face. Then, if a book resulted, he could prepare it there among friends. Also, he could lecture. He had been anxious to visit his people before sailing, but matters were too urgent to permit delay. He obtained from Bliss an advance of royalty and took passage, by way of Aspinwall, on the side-wheel steamer Henry Chauncey, a fine vessel for those days. The name of Mark Twain was already known on the Isthmus, and when it was learned he had arrived on the Chauncey, a delegation welcomed him on the wharf, and provided him with refreshments and entertainment. Mr. Tracy Robinson, a poet, long a resident of that southern land, was one of the group. Beyond the Isthmus, Clemens fell in again with his old captain, Ned Wakeman, who during the trip told him the amazing dream that in due time would become Captain Stormfield's visit to heaven. He made the first draft of this story soon after his arrival in San Francisco, as a sort of travesty of Elizabeth Stuart Phelps Gates ajar, then very popular. Clemens then and later had a high opinion of Captain Ned Wakeman's dream, but his story of it would pass through several stages before finally reaching the light of publication. Mr. John P. Vollmer, now of Lewiston, Idaho, a companion of that voyage, writes of a card game which took place beyond the isthmus. The notorious crippled gambler Smithy figured in it, and it would seem to have furnished the inspiration for the exciting story in Chapter 36 of the Mississippi Book. In San Francisco matters turned out as he had hoped. Colonel McComb was his staunch friend. McCrellish and Woodward, the proprietors, presently conceded that they had already received good value for the money paid. The author agreed to make proper acknowledgments to the Alta in his preface, and the matter was settled with friendliness all around. The way was now clear. 
the book assured first however he must provide himself with funds he delivered a lecture with the quaker city excursion as his subject on the fifth of may he wrote to bliss i lectured here on the trip the other night over one thousand six hundred in gold in the house every seat taken and paid for before night he reports that he is steadily at work and expects to start east with the completed manuscript about the middle of june but this was a miscalculation clemens found that the letters needed more preparation than he had thought his literary vision and equipment had vastly altered since the beginning of that correspondence some of the chapters he rewrote others he eliminated entirely it required two months of fairly steady work to put the big manuscript together some of the new chapters he gave to bret harte for the overland monthly then recently established harte himself was becoming a celebrity about this time his luck of roaring camp and the outcasts of poker flat published in early numbers of the overland were making a great stir in the east arousing there a good deal more enthusiasm than in the magazine office or the city of their publication that these two friends each supreme in his own field should have entered into their heritage so nearly at the same moment is one of the many seemingly curious coincidences of literary history clemens now concluded to cover his lecture circuit of two years before he was assured that it would be throwing away a precious opportunity not to give his new lecture to his old friends the result justified that opinion at virginia at carson and elsewhere he was received like a returned conqueror he might have been accorded a roman triumph had there been time and paraphernalia even the robbers had reformed and entire safety was guaranteed him on the divide between virginia and gold hill at carson he called on mrs curry as in old days and among other things told her how snow from the lebanon mountains is brought to damascus on the backs of camels sam she said that's just one of your yarns and if you tell it in your lecture tonight, i'll get right up and say so but he did tell it for it was a fact and though mrs curry did not rise to deny it she shook her finger at him in a way he knew he returned to san francisco and gave one more lecture the last he would ever give in california his preparatory advertising for that occasion was wholly unique characteristic of him to the last degree it assumed the form of a handbill of protest supposed to have been issued by the foremost citizens of san francisco urging him to return to the states without inflicting himself further upon them as signatures he made free with the names of prominent individuals followed by those of organizations institutions various benevolent societies citizens on foot and horseback and fifteen hundred in the steerage following this on the same bill was his reply to the fifteen hundred and others in which he insisted on another hearing i will torment the people if i want to it only costs the people one dollar apiece and if they can't stand it what do they stay here for my last lecture was not as fine as i thought it was but i have submitted this discourse 
to several able critics, and they have pronounced it good. Now, therefore, why should I withhold it? He promised positively to sail on the 6th of July if they would let him talk just this once. Continuing, the handbill presented a second protest, signed by the various clubs and business firms, also others bearing variously the signatures of the newspapers and the clergy, ending with the brief word, You had better go. Yours, Chief of Police all of which drollery concluded with his announcement of a place and date of his lecture, with still further gaiety at the end. Nothing short of a seismic cataclysm, an earthquake, in fact, could deter a San Francisco audience after that. Mark Twain's farewell address, given at the Mercantile Library, July 2, 1868, doubtless remains today the leading literary event in San Francisco's history copy of the lecture, announcement, complete, will be found in Appendix H at the end of last volume. He sailed July 6th by the Pacific Mail Steamer Montana to Acapulco, caught the Henry Chauncey at Aspinwall, reached New York on the 28th, and a day or two later had delivered his manuscript at Hartford. But a further difficulty had arisen. Bliss was having troubles himself this time with his directors. Many reports of Mark Twain's new book had been traveling the rounds of the press, some of which declared it was to be irreverent, even blasphemous in tone. The title selected, The New Pilgrim's Progress, was in itself a sacrilege. Hartford was a conservative place. The American Publishing Company directors were of orthodox persuasion. They urged Bliss to relieve the company of this impending disaster of heresy. When the author arrived, one or more of them labored with him in person, without avail. As for Bliss, he was staunch. He believed in the book thoroughly, from every standpoint. He declared if the company refused to print it, he would resign the management and publish the book himself. This was an alarming suggestion to the stockholders. Bliss had returned dividends, a boon altogether too rare in the company's former history. The objectors retired and were heard of no more. The manuscript was placed in the hands of Fay and Cox, illustrators, with an order for about 250 pictures. Fay and Cox turned it over to True Williams, one of the well-known illustrators of that day. Williams was a man of great talent, of fine imagination and sweetness of spirit, but it was necessary to lock him in a room when industry was required, with nothing more exciting than cold water as a beverage. Clemens himself aided in the illustrating by obtaining of Moses S. Beach photographs from the large collection he had brought home. End of chapter 66. Back to San Francisco. Read by John Greenman.